This is the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I am thrilled today because I am joined by one of my favorite guests to read. And now I get a chance to talk to him. And that is Brett McCracken. Brett, it's so great to have you on the podcast again, man. Thank you. Thanks, Ross. Great to be back again. So Brett is the senior editor and director of communications at the Gospel Coalition. For those of you who don't know him, you've written four different books. The one that we spent a lot of time talking about the last time you and I connected was The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. And we'll link to our previous conversation in the show notes. I thought it was great, Brett. I don't know if you, you know, I don't know if you had a good time, but I had a great time when we talked. Um, But uh, (laughs) I want to start with a bit of your essentially macro view on the force of technology in kids, which I realize is a question we could spend the next 12 hours talking about. Right. But I think it's, you're someone who's a a gifted communicator without compromising biblical conviction in the realities of parents interacting with technology today. How would you describe Mm -hmm. your feelings on a 50,000 foot um, view on the world kids are navigating today with tech? Um, yeah, it's a good question and we could talk all day about that, but I think in short, I would say, you know, I probably lean more towards caution, um, but not to the extreme of total abstention, you know, for sure. technology. So I think in general, my posture, cause most of what I've written about in my books and in my writing has to do with Christianity and culture and how we interact with everything in culture. So not just technology, but, and I think with anything that we as Christians interact with having um, a posture of caution, but also willingness to engage is usually where I land. Like um, the extremes I don't find super helpful in terms of like the libertine approach to culture where it's like everything is fair game. And we are just kind of naively like rushing headlong into you know, whatever, um, that doesn't typically end well. Um, but neither does the other extreme where it's kind of like, we're so freaked out by the potential, um, bad that can happen that we just kind of pull away completely and, you know, just have this, um, Christ against culture posture to use, uh, Niebuhr's term. So, yeah, yeah, I think in short, that's what I would say is, you know, with technology as with anything in culture, like, I think there's probably some good ways that we can use it as Christians. And I have to say that because I personally get a paycheck from a website, the gospel coalition. <laughs> so I'm, my livelihood depends on mm-hmm. me agreeing with the statement Christians can use technology in the internet for some good purposes. Um, but at the same time, and probably because I work, um, full-time in the internet space as a digital kind of content producer, I think because that's my world, I have a front row seat to the dangers of it and the toxic dynamics that are ever present. And so I have, I think I have a healthy sense of like, skepticism and caution because I've seen it in my own life and in my own day-to-day work. And so even though I work in the internet space and I'm on social media a ton for my, for my job, um, I have a very like, uh, sober minded, just realization of like, this can really go wrong very quickly if you're not super intentional and careful with how yeah. you how we use these tools and how we inhabit these spaces as Christians. 
So that's why I wrote the book. You know, we need wisdom in order to, to, to thrive in Babylon in any form as Christians, we need wisdom and technology today. And the internet is nothing if not Babylon, you know, yeah. <laughs> a thousand times, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this massive playground of vice and falsehood and sickness. And that's not to say that there can't be good things there, you know, just, just as the exiles in Babylon and the Bible, you know, worked for the flourishing of the city and were able to kind of participate in generative kind of culture making there, um, they were still in Babylon and they were still subject to a lot of negative influences there. And so the same is true for Christians in the technological world that we live in. So yeah, cautious, uh, cautious engagement, I guess is how I would sum it all up. No, that's great. You did a much better job answering that broad question than I did asking it. So I appreciate it, um, <laughs> as does Marlon, my producer. So I wanted to start there because one, I think it's helpful for people to just frankly hear that voices like that are out there. You know, uh, you and I are both the parent of the dads of young kids. Yeah. And I think so often that the when we are approached by or when we're bombarded by is actually a better word. Um, people who are trying to tell us what to do with our kids and technology, it only exists in those two poles that you described. Right. You know, what you just described for our listeners is a very nuanced position. And frankly, a position that is what I would imagine most people who listen to this podcast agree with. Most people would tell you what they practice in their day-to-day life is cautious engagement. They may have questions about how much engagement or how much caution, right? And we can get into that a little bit. But why have things gotten so hard, particularly with a conversation like this, where mm-hmm. nuance is out the window? Mm-hmm. You know, I think nuance just in general is it's hard in it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a certain amount of episode patience. title. Nuance is hard. <laughs> nuance is hard. I believe it. I know. I know this from firsthand being an editor of an online publication. You know, the incentives in terms of um, internet publishing are not nuanced. Right? Nuance doesn't get the clicks. What gets the clicks are the extreme voices, like the hot takes on one side or the other. So I see that every day in my line of work, you know, what we want to cultivate at the Gospel Coalition is nuanced, thoughtful content. But even we are tempted by kind of going to the extremes because we know guaranteed it's going to get a lot of clicks because we live in a hyper agitated partisan world where people just have a hunger and an appetite for extremes, I think. And there isn't much of an appetite for nuance. Um, so I don't know what, what to make of that. It's probably just human nature, <laughs> you know, our sin nature. We, we don't, um, have an appetite for truth in all of its kind of complexity sometimes as much as we have an appetite for a certain narrative that we would like to kind of have evidence for on mm-hmm. one side or the other. And so I think just the media landscape in general tends to reward, um, extreme sides. So maybe that's why like you have your parenting podcast guru who says technology is evil and they get a lot of clicks for that view. And then you have the, you know, technology is all evil, you know, throw away your phones and go live on a farm somewhere. Like that person gets a lot of clicks because of their extreme view. So this is a long answer to say that I think there's not a huge market for nuance. So therefore this conversation doesn't tend to dwell in that 
both and space as much as it probably should. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say this to you, whether or not we were recording or not, but that's why one of the many reasons why I like reading your stuff so much, because when you are committed to larger projects like Mm -hmm. your books or when you're committed to one of my favorite articles that you wrote recently was just simply should my kids watch or should I let my kids watch this? I think was the title, which Mm -hmm. I think goes right at a felt need that people have. Mm -hmm. You are committed to that nuance. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a thing that is missing from the broader conversation. And yet it is where so many folks live. And I want to dive into that specifically because I think you likely feel attention that a lot of our folks who are listening feel a lot of people who listen to this podcast are children's ministry leaders. Mm -hmm. They are folks who maybe are perhaps more cautious in how they've let their own kids engage with technology. Yeah. Then they do. This is just one practical example. Then the kids who are coming into their ministry, Mm -hmm. you are someone who has your own young kids but you also have to write about this and you have parents like me reading your stuff going, well, Brett said this. So I, you know, he's the expert, right? Right. I'm curious how you have found navigating that tension because I think folks often feel this almost burden of knowledge Hmm. and you as someone who has quite literally written books about it, Mm -hmm. I think must have found ways to sort of get yourself back on track on what your role is as a communicator versus Mm -hmm. what your role is as a dad or just a member of your community? It's a really good question. And it is a tension that I feel because not only am I a dad, you know, but I'm a, I'm an elder in a local church. So I have that kind of responsibility to the flock in my church. And so I wear that hat and I wear the dad hat. And then I, but I'm also this public communicator who's speaking to an unnamed kind of masses of people who don't know me, who don't um, have the trust built in that comes with actually knowing someone in the flesh. So it is, it is, each of those hats is slightly different. And I do feel that tension, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing like a movie review, for example, and I, I, it's about an R rated movie, let's say, and I'm putting it out there on the internet. And I do so with kind of fear and trembling because I don't know who's going to read that review. And I don't know if, you know, someone's going to like watch that movie based on my review and they probably shouldn't have watched that movie. Sure. So, but I'm not their pastor. I'm not their parent. I, I, I'm not the immediate kind of source of, um, walking them through that decision. So all I can do in that kind of internet publisher hat, you know, role is just try to give people some tools to think through these movies and these decisions but I don't want it to end there. Right. So even with the article you referenced about, should I watch, should I let my kid watch this? I would hope that like, you know, some parent, it doesn't just like print out that article, like put it on their fridge and they're like, Brett McCracken says that this is okay. So end of story. Like I would hope that they would talk it through, you know, as with their spouse, you know, potentially with their, you know, pastor, if they have any questions. So it's a weird role when you're writing for the internet, because it's like, uh, there isn't this real relationship and you, you know, but this is the world we live in, right? This is one of the dynamics that's weird about our technological environment is so many people get, um, resources and insight from strangers that they 
have never met and will never meet. And they kind of take their word on faith that it's like coming from a wise, you know, godly person on the other end of the keyboard writing it. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I, I, I hope everyone who reads what I write or what anyone writes takes it with a grain of salt, yeah. you know, takes from it what is helpful, but also feel feels free to disagree with it or like push back a little bit. Um, I invite that and I hope that readers, you know, have that kind of critical lens so that if you're reading something online by some, you know, Christian supposedly who they've right. never met, they're still like reading it through that lens of like, yeah, he's got some good points there, but I know based on my local experience as a mom or a dad or as a pastor in my context, what he says there doesn't quite, you know, fit as, as nicely. Yeah. So. And it also helps anyone with any sort of public communication, whether it is your own mm -hmm. social media platform or jobs like yours or job likes mine, where yeah. it is part of our nine to five experience, be held accountable when we aren't speaking the way we should or following the way mm -hmm. we should. It's, it's mm -hmm. a responsibility that, you know, that I know you take seriously that I know I take seriously. The other tension that I think you likely carry that a lot of our folks carry is our people are having to navigate this in a world where they themselves didn't grow up in it. Yeah. Disney was making, you know, a small handful of movies a year, yeah. not a universe of content. Right. Right. And one of the things that I have found is a really practical thing benefit for me is looking at mm -hmm. people like yourself who I go like, okay, I trust that this person's going to give me their perspective and I can take it and digest it and talk to, I do those things, talk to my wife, yeah. talk to my, like those types yeah. of practical steps is begin to digest. Okay. Here's these things that I don't know how to put words to. And someone like you helps me put words to, but I'm curious for your own lived experience. Like when your kids are walking through these things and you mm -hmm. know, for lack of a better term, how dangerous some of those roads can get. Yeah. How do you stay focused on dad mode and not public mm -hmm. communicator mode? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I just, I just have to like separate the two roles sometimes, you know, let's say like Disney plus is on in our household and my kids are watching something like I can't like be watching it through my critic hat like oh that's an interesting theme that like, <laughs> that i as a 40 year old man you know find interesting i'm sitting there looking at it through the lens of what are my what is my four-year-old ingesting here right. and like what what part of this story is he getting and is sticking with him and so yeah so i, I think especially in our household in terms of what they're watching and what's on the screens um i i tend to just put away my my like you know critics hat for a while and just focus on being on being yeah. a dad but sometimes there's overlap you know like sometimes there's a show like bluey where i wrote about that as a critic but part of my like research as i was writing that article was i put it on for my kids and just kind of observed how they were in engaging with it and so there's occasional like overlaps but yeah, yeah. because i think part of everyone desire who listens to this, but especially if you are someone who works within the context of a ministry or particularly a local church, this tension of how do I raise my kids to love the church and mm -hmm. not have this be 
mom and dad's job or mom and dad's idol is I think something that is such a felt need for people. And I know that when I watch folks like you communicate (laughs) the trials and tribulations through it, Mm-hmm. It gives me a sense of confidence on, okay, here's some things to avoid. Here's some best practices. Here's some things that I can try within my own context. Again, I referenced this article, should I, should I let my kids watch this? Which I feel like is one of those things where people come to you going like, this is the felt need, right? This is the thing that I really want to know. And what that yeah. article does a really good job of doing is you actually dive at what's really going on behind that felt need. Uh-huh. When someone's asking, should I watch this? What they're really asking is actually a lot of deeper questions. Mm-hmm. And similarly, our children's ministry audience is often getting pressures of like, hey, make the snack cabinet full. Mm-hmm. And we want to engage in conversations around child discipleship. How do you help folks understand these harder, more complex, deeper, but more important conversations without preaching at them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I try to do in like these kind of should I watch this type articles. Um, So I did one one um, a few years ago that was titled Should I Watch This? And it was kind of geared towards adults making those decisions about what entertainment media to consume. And then this the one that you're referencing is basically the same idea, but specifically for parents in terms of should I let my kid watch this? And in each of those articles, it was more a list of considerations and questions to to think about in your processing it less than like i i'm telling you to do this or not not do this yeah it's Uh, not like you saying yeah "Yeah, check out all these bible shows that's not what that article says right here here's the comprehensive list of what's okay and here's what (laughs) you should watch um i mean that's just kind of that's what wisdom is like wisdom in in the bible is not just this list of comprehensive do's and don'ts um, in part because the Bible couldn't have known about so many of the specifics that we're facing, you know, in our culture now or what any, you know, historical generation of Christians has faced. So, but what the Bible does do is it provides this kind of toolbox of wisdom that we can um, internalize to the point that we can make these um, decisions, these circumstantial decisions in life um, in a good, you know, on a solid foundation. So that's what I'm trying to do with these articles is just synthesize biblical wisdom. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Before we go any further, I need to talk to y'all about Bright. Those of you who know Awana know that we develop curriculum, But before the team made Bright, they asked leaders in child discipleship what the most important thing was to them in a curriculum. 67% of respondents said that a curriculum that is biblically based is the most important factor in choosing resources. I'm not that good at math, but that's two thirds of people agreeing on something. This biblical foundation is what our kids need. And with a Bright subscription, you get a year of child discipleship curriculum that includes lessons that teach the gospel each week while following a chronological scope and sequence that starts with creation, teaches the fall, reveals redemption, and looks forward and upward to restoration. And with Bright, it's easier because everything you need is in one spot. Each Bible lesson is brimming with options for use in both large and small group child discipleship. 
You'll find high-energy, teacher-led activities in media for large group and age-appropriate scripture. You won't find yourself just teaching Bible stories. You'll be teaching the story of the Bible and scriptures that kids will commit to memory and take to heart. Subscribe to Bright this month with code DISCIPLE and get 25% off a full year of curriculum. Learn more at brightcurriculum.com. You know, we started by talking about cautious engagement. And I feel like you and I have talked a lot about the ways in which it is helpful, but that we aren't going to be prescriptive for people on how to be cautious. Yeah. But I, I want to close with talking about that engagement piece, because one of the things that I find really compelling about today's generation, like Gen Z Christians, as an example, mm-hmm. is seeing some of these ticked the creativity of some yeah. talk evangelists. Right. For sure. And how they are able to do stuff that my brain could never comprehend because one yeah. TikTok is not for me and I'm thankfully too old for something. Yeah. But also the ways in which God has gifted them uniquely. Mm-hmm. When I think about how so many people sort of that felt need conversation, so many church leaders go, well, we need a Facebook page. Yeah. And actually there is a broader conversation about digital engagement and technology as a form of discipleship. Yeah. How do we help churches feel engaged and equipped in this conversation when so many folks feel almost immediately overwhelmed by it? Yeah. Um, Other than buying your books. I mean, that's a good place. (laughs) Yeah. I would say, you know, start where you have some sort of resonance with like a platform or a, you know, start with your who's in your community and what are they doing? And we're like, Mm. so if you're a church, it's like, everyone's on Facebook. We need to get on Facebook. At first I would like question, okay, do you know that that's true? Like, have you like pulled (laughs) the chances are that your youth group is not on Facebook anymore. (laughs) That's, That's not the best engagement with technology that you should be doing. But so start with kind of what is the community that you're trying to model this for and and lead them into kind of a wise engagement with technology and what are the platforms or the areas of technology that they're most gravitating towards currently. So maybe for, you know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, TikTok is probably one of those, you know, that's where the kids are these days, so to speak. Uh, Or maybe it's already something new that I don't know about. It's probably the case. Um, So I think just, you know, go, go into these places where, the people are who you're trying to reach and who you're trying to engage with. And then um, the second thing I would say is just don't have a posture of creativity rather than copycat. Like yeah, um, it, if, if what you're seeing on TikTok is a lot of like dance routines, like don't be that youth pastor who's like, I'm going to get on TikTok and do like a dance routine because that's what the kids do on TikTok. Right. Like that's copycat, you know, Christians for too long have used technology and pop culture in this kind of copying what the secular culture is doing only like a few steps behind a few years behind. And what I would love to see is Christians in their engagement with culture being innovators and actually like, you know, coming up with like new ways to subvert the technology of TikTok um, to, to, 
you know, evangelize Jesus and to share the gospel. And then as you alluded, there are, you know, really creative Christians who are doing that on TikTok and it's cool to see that. Um, and so I would say with any technology, you know, there's great potential if we go into it um, with this mentality of not wanting to just use it because everyone is using it and to do what everyone is already doing in that platform, but to be, be really creative about how we can subvert this technology in a way that amplifies the voice of Jesus, glorifies God. Um, and I, and I think, you know, there's great potential there. Now yeah. the caveat I would say again, because this is a very, it's a cautious engagement is whenever we go into a mission field, if you want to call uh, TikTok or, you know, any of these technologies, kind of a mission field space. The thing about mission fields is you can go into it sometimes with too much naivety about how you are going to like revolutionize that space and you're going to like transform it for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have that missionary zeal, but, um, you're, you're not, um, you're not alert enough about the dangers of that space changing you. So how many missionaries in history have like gone into a pagan context with, with all these aspirations to transform that place for Jesus. And they end up being transformed themselves away from Jesus. And that's happening in our culture a lot, you know, where you have a lot of um, very optimistic, naive Christians who are like, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go move to the, you know, to Brooklyn or Portland, and I'm going to plant a church and I'm going to like bring that post-Christian secular culture to Jesus. And when, what ends up happening to a lot of them is they end up being more changed by the culture than, than they end up changing it. So that's just always a, 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 um, something to keep in mind, right? So we can, we can be Christians who go into these digital spaces and try to use these tools and be on TikTok um, and, and, and to try to subvert it for, for Jesus. But we just have to be really careful that the dynamics at play on TikTok don't change us for the worse, you know? Yeah. Uh, we don't, you don't want to be a TikTok, a Christian TikToker who, yeah, is doing some good things on TikTok, but is spending way too much time every day scrolling through TikTok yourself. And like yeah. when you could be reading your Bible or yes. <laughs> having coffee in person. Or be, yeah, so, becoming yeah. apathetic to what else God right. might be calling you to do. Right. Because I right. think, and I'm sure he would tell you he's not the only one to have made this comparison, but I heard John Tyson compare sort of this. It, I think there's a lot more to it than digital evangelism. There is certainly a lot more to it than TikTok when Brett and I are using this. We're yeah. using it much more as a handle yes. than we are yeah. as a specific platform. You see a lot of folks who I think get overwhelmed by it and sort of treat it as like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. But when he made this comparison to the Jesus movement of the 70s mm -hmm. and how when you are able to look at technology as this opportunity, this discipleship opportunity mm -hmm. of reaching the lost, it completely changes your approach. And I would argue for those who are listening, who I know may already feel overwhelmed by just hearing Brett and I talk about it, let alone thinking about how to implement it in their community. 
it's important to consider how you can make this a discipleship opportunity within the context of your own church. Yeah. We know this is critic mission critical. That doesn't mean that you are the one who has to do this. Right. The last question I want to ask Brett is, you know, we've talked about the, your perspective on technology. We've talked about your, you know, I think you are a very gifted and unique communicator in the space, but I'm curious, you know, we use the language loving, caring adult around here. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious who a loving, caring adult was in your life. You know, someone who helped kind of shape your discipleship, not only as a, you know, just as a, as a believer, but as someone who maybe was a communicator as well. Um, mm-hmm. I just like kind of carving out that space because mm-hmm. there's a lot of loving, caring adults who are listening. I, there are a couple like professors that I had in college who I would put in that category. Um, I went to Wheaton College and it was like the first time in my life where I was really around thoughtful Christianity, like Christians who hmm. were thinking deeply about how Christianity related to the culture, which was something I intuitively cared about, but didn't have a lot of models for in my, um, Baptist Southern Baptist upbringing in high school. And so there were a couple of professors who, um, really took an interest in my interest in Christianity and culture. So I was like writing film reviews for the student newspaper in college, um, from my freshman year on, it was kind of like my extracurricular thing that I did as I was writing these like film reviews. And I remember having like um, a couple professors who just always took the time to encourage me and say like, Hey, Brett, I read your review in the Wheaton record of such and such movie. And I just found it really helpful. And, um, you know, you have, you have a knack for thinking through movies, you know, from a Christian perspective. So that meant the world to me because it was someone older and wiser who was basically saying, keep on doing this. And, you know, there may be some people in your life who say there, there is no such thing as a Christian film critic, you know, but, but these people were saying, this is good. You know, you are, yeah. you're on the right track here. So I just, I was, I'm really grateful to, to some of those professors. What a wonderful note to leave it on, because I think mm-hmm. there's, I often say this, but there's a lot of folks who are listening who may feel like what they're doing and they may be questioning, is this working? Is this mm-hmm. actually paying off? And those types of simple interactions, those simple affirmations, watching your face light up, describing it like really, really pays off. So to all of the versions of a college professor complimenting a film review that are out there, like you are on the right, you are on the right path. And I just, I'm very encouraged to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. On that note, just to everyone who's listening, like something that I often say is like never withhold encouragement if you if you have a thought that could encourage someone like always speak it out, like, cause it's, whether it's a professor encouraging a student that it makes a difference. whether it's you're a youth pastor, like if there's ever anything encouraging, you could say to a student, like, and this is not to like pat people on the back in some sort of like participation trophy, like false way, like <laughs> it's not to coddle, students but if there's a legitimate substantive encouragement that you can give give it because you never know how much that will change that student's life and and set them on kind of a trajectory of of health um because we all need encouragement and especially you know 
hormonal adolescents who, <laughs> who, are, just, who are in a rocky, you know, time of life. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What a perfect mic drop kind of way to end it. Uh, Brad McCracken. <laughs> Hormonal adolescence. Hormonal yeah. adolescence. Uh, adolescence. Mm. You can read them. There's a lot of links in the show notes that will point you in the right direction in that regard. But thank you so much for your time, man. Um, yeah. Really looking forward to talking again soon. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back to wrap things up right after this. Teaching our kids to say I'm sorry is pretty easy, but teaching them to forgive is much harder. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul reminds us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This week, let's talk about the kind of forgiveness Jesus wants us to extend to others and praise him for the forgiveness he extends to those who believe in him. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Marlon Washington and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.